So for the past four weeks, we've been navigating this very challenging series called What Would Jesus Undo? We've been looking at the very words of Jesus, those red letters. If you have a red letter Bible where it tells you where the words that were quoted from Jesus, we've been looking at those words. We've been looking at those very sayings from Christ. And we've been asking ourselves, what would Jesus want to change? And what would he want to undo from our lives? In other words, what are the things God would want to remove from our lives so that we can grow in godliness and look more like Christ? Week one, just to summarize it, we spoke about spiritual apathy, where we learned to identify the spiritual lukewarmness within us, and we were challenged to live our lives in a red-hot pursuit of Jesus. In week two, we spoke about hollow worship. You guys remember, I brought that gift box. It was beautifully wrapped. I ripped off the paper, and it was empty inside. Right? That's what hollow worship looks like. It's when we honor God with our lips. We look real pretty on the outside, but inside our hearts are far from Him. And we learn that ultimately what God seeks in our worship is not just beautiful words. It's not just looking beautiful outward, but it was our hearts. God looks at our, at our hearts, and that's what produces an acceptable worship to Him. Last week, we were challenged to drop the mask. You guys remember I brought those masks uh, to, uh, to church, and, and Hunter showed us a clean cup on the outside. Inside it was all full of uh, ooey-gooey, gunky nastiness inside, as we talked about hypocrisy and dropping the mask, right? This is something that many people are hurt by. These are many people have left the church or they even abandoned their faith because of hypocrisy. And we were challenged to live authentically and to remove those masks. Now, uh, one of the resources that God has given us in this regard when we talk about hypocrisy is each other. God has given us this gift. We are a gift to one another. The Bible says to confess our sin. Yes, confess your sin to God. That's good because he can forgive you. But we confess to one another because we can. that provides healing. And so uh, did you guys know that the person sitting next to you is a gift from God? God has given you this gift. We have a family in Christ and we can pray for each other. We can encourage one another and we can hold each other accountable to grow in Christ likeness. Now, as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. What is that? Well, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Luke uh, in the New Testament. Uh, Luke is one of the Four Gospels in the New Testament. Gospel simply means good news. And when we read the good news, the Gospels in the New Testament, all we're learning about is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's also where we can hear from his very own words and study Jesus' teaching. So now what is spiritual pride? As we dig into the passage, we'll take a much closer look at uh, something that Jesus is going to tell us that I think is going to really help us uh, define it and understand it. But let me try to illustrate it for you uh, with a story. Uh, Do you guys know this guy? I have a picture on the screen. You can take a look at this guy. You know who that is? Shout it out if you know who it is. Muhammad Ali, right? He's the world heavyweight champion in boxing. He's known as one of the best boxers of all time. Uh, right? And uh, well, one day there's a story that goes that he boarded a 747. He got on an airplane. He was traveling, one of his travels. And in preparing for takeoff, the stewardess came by and she was, you know, making sure all the tray tables were up, making sure the seat backs were up before they got ready for a takeoff when they, she approached Muhammad Ali himself. And of course, Muhammad Ali was sitting down. He didn't have a seatbelt on. And so she approaches him. She says, sir, would you please put on your seatbelt? And to which, you know, I would imagine he probably put a sly, uh, real slick smile on his face. He looked at her and he said, well, ma'am, Superman don't need no seatbelt, he told her. And uh, so, uh, you know, as you can imagine, he thought he was pretty hot stuff, right? 
But the stewardess didn't skip a beat, and she answered him and said, well, Superman don't need no airplane either, right? What a burn, right? And this is exactly, you know, this is what spiritual pride is kind of like that. Spiritual pride makes you out to be the hot stuff, right? Oh, I'm, I'm God's favorite. I'm, I'm closer to God than you. I'm closer to God than everyone else. So I can just sit back and ride with no seatbelt on. Because after all, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And that's what spiritual pride is kind of like. Now, Jesus was an amazing teacher, and he would use stories or parables. Is what the, is the word that you would probably read in the New Testament, parables or stories, to help get his message across and to communicate important spiritual truths. That's what we're reading today. We're reading a parable. It's a story uh, in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. We're going to pick it up in the Bible. If you have it, you can follow along. By the way, guys, there's some paperback versions of the Bible over to my right, your left. You can go ahead and grab one if you want to follow along in a paper version. Go ahead and grab it and follow along if you want. It's totally uh, up to you. Uh, otherwise, you can follow along in your message notes. And you also have the Bible app that you can follow along as well. Let's pick it up. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. It's on the screen as well. Look at what it says. He, that's Jesus, also told this parable. Check this out. To some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. All right, so this is verse 9. So guys, who is Jesus communicating this particular parable to? He's addressing, this is who it's addressed to. He says it's to the righteous, to those who look down on everyone else. In other words, he's communicating this lesson to all the supermen and women who need no seatbelts, right? This is, this is who this message is for. And so Jesus goes on to tell us, uh, this story, and he introduces to us two characters. Remember, this is a story. It's a parable, right? So he's going to communicate an important spiritual truth through this parable. And he's going to tell us two characters. You guys ready? All right, verse 10. Remember his audience. Who's he talking to? Those, those, those righteous, right? Those prideful people. All right, here's the story. Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a what? A Pharisee, and the other was a... A tax collector. All right, so here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus just introduced us to two characters in this Bible story. One is a Pharisee, and the other is a tax collector. And both of these guys are heading to temple to pray. In other words, they're going to church. Right? As you guys just went to church you know, to get together to worship, to pray. These guys are going to church. Now, here's what you need to know about these two characters that were introduced. If you want to circle, circle Pharisee and circle tax collector uh, in your notes, these are the two characters. The Pharisee... Uh, you can write it if you want in little letters above it. He was a religious leader, all right? So you can write down religious leaders. In other words, he was like a pastor or like a Bible teacher or a religious authority. That's who the Pharisee was. He was someone that people looked up to spiritually. The Pharisees and the most devout Jews in Jesus' day, they didn't devote themselves just to the Ten Commandments that you and I know, Right? They get this, they followed, the most devout Jew followed over 600 rules and regulations of the law. And they were very careful not to break even one. Now the tax collector was representative of someone who was a sinner. And almost, he was almost the polar opposite of what a Pharisee was. You see, tax collectors were seen as thieves. They were seen as liars. They were seen as immoral. In fact, if you want to put down next to tax collector, you can, you can put thief in there, right next to his name. You know, what's even worse is that tax collectors would collect money for the oppressive Roman government. 
You know, and, and so here in this story, we have a Jewish tax collector who more than likely is stealing money from his own family by charging extra taxes, but is also collecting money for the government that oppresses his people. So these are the two characters in Jesus' story. And Jesus is about to give us an inside scoop on their spiritual lives, and he's going to allow us to eavesdrop on their prayer. These guys came to church to pray, and Jesus is giving us, he's letting us be a fly on the wall to listen to these two guys pray. So let's continue reading verse 11. Here's what it says. The Pharisee was what? What was the Pharisee doing? He was standing. You can circle that. He was standing, and he was praying like this about who? About himself underline that part right there in the verse all right so the pharisee is standing and he's praying about himself look at what he says god i thank you that i'm not like other people and this is where we see the first place spiritual pride leads this is number one in your notes if you're taking notes there's a couple of fill in the blanks a number one is this spiritual pride leads to praise of self Spiritual pride leads to praise of self. Notice that Jesus says that the Pharisees stood up to pray. Let me ask you guys a question. Why did he stand up to pray? You see, he stood up so that everybody else could see him pray. This Pharisee thinks he's the hot stuff and he wants to make sure that everybody knows it. He wants to give off the appearance of being way more spiritual than he actually is. And so it says that he stood up, and, and not only was he praying, but he was praying like this about who? Himself. So, who is this guy actually praying to? Is he praying to God? Did he go to church to pray to God? No, it seems to me that he went to church to, be, to stand up and to be seen by everybody and to pray to himself. Right? And so he's actually praising himself and how self-centered and arrogant of a way he's praying. And this is exactly, guys, where spiritual pride always leads. It always leads to the praise of self. Instead of giving glory to God and praising God, spiritual pride gives and accepts glory of self and praise of self. Instead of, look at how wonderful God is, spiritual pride says, look at how wonderful I am. Can you guys sense it in this man's prayer? It's not about giving praise to God. It's about giving praise to self. Guys, have you ever met someone where you get into a conversation with them and the topic always tends to drift back to themselves? You ever met that person? You're talking about somehow always the conversation gets back to them, their accolades, their praiseworthiness, right? How, How wonderful they are. And that's exactly what this guy is doing. He goes to church, he begins to pray, and he's not praying to God. He's praying, God, thank you that you made me so spectacularly amazing. I'm such a stud. God, thank you. And then he goes on to pray this in verse 11. Check it out. The Pharisee was standing. Remember, he's standing so everybody can see him. And he's praying like this about himself. So he's praying to God about himself. And look at what he says. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy unrighteous adulterers or even like this tax collector and this is where spiritual pride always leads number two in your notes you can fill this in spiritual pride compares yourself to others spiritual pride compares yourself to other 
you know, maybe you don't, maybe you, you don't know what prayer really is like, and you don't, you haven't spent much time in prayer. Let me try to explain it to you. Prayer is typically a time that we spend with God. It's when we talk to God. It's a conversation between us and God. That's what prayer is. What business does this man have bringing the tax collector into this conversation? But you see, this is exactly where spiritual pride leads. It causes us to look around and to compare ourselves to where others are spiritually. And you might be like, hmm, you know, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I pray a little bit more than her. At least I know a little bit more Bible than them, right? And you look around at other people and you compare yourself and you try to make yourself not so bad. And in the Pharisee's prayer, he goes off listing all the people he thinks he's better than. And then he throws in the tax collector, who, by the way, is in the temple, in the church, praying with him. He's standing right next to him. Remember, and this guy's standing up so everybody can see him, and he's praying this out loud. Can you imagine how offensive that is? It's offensive of a prayer. And we have to be careful not to do the same. Because out of spiritual pride, we can take a look at the people around us, and we can begin to compare ourselves. And, And we begin to think, well, you know, at least I'm a little bit better than them. Or the opposite is true as well. We can look at someone and say, man, I wish I was as spiritual as them. I wish I prayed as much as them. I wish I knew as much Bible as them. I suck. I stink. And both are wrong attitudes and both stem from spiritual pride. So not only does the Pharisee compare himself to these other people, but then he goes on to say this in verse 12. Look at this. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. And this is where we learn number three in your notes. You can write this in. That spiritual pride hides behind spiritual things. Spiritual pride hides behind spiritual things. And here's what the Pharisee is doing. He rattles off all the things he does to show off his, spiritual, his spirituality. He prayed, God, thank you that I'm not like the greedy I fast twice a week. You know what I mean? Greedy people, they eat everything in their sight. You know? They, everything they see, they want to grab and they want to eat. I'm not like that. I give up. You know, my eating twice. So I want to draw close to you guys. I'm not greedy. I fast twice a week. I give up my meals to draw close to God. He says of the tax collector, you steal from other people, but not me. Mm-mm. I give to God a tenth of everything that comes in. I'm not a thief like you, tax collector. I'm generous, and I give to God. Do you see how this Pharisee is hiding behind these spiritual things? By the way, guys, I got to make this point that nothing he mentioned here is bad to do. Be generous, tithing, praying, fasting, desperately seeking God. There's nothing wrong with that. None of it is bad. All of it is good. But he's hiding. And, And it's all a front to cover up the most precious thing to this guy. Do you know what's the most precious thing to this guy, to this tax collector? The one thing that he wants to devote all his time to. The one thing that he truly wants to worship and adore. Do you know who it is? Himself. And if we're not careful, it's very easy to hide behind a religious show. Let me ask you a question. What spiritual things are you hiding behind to give you the appearance of a more righteous person? If we're not careful... We'll hide behind spiritual things to give off a facade of something we are not. But now by comparison, let's look at how the tax collector pray. Because it's night and day. So we got the Pharisee's prayer, the fly on the wall, heard everything he said. What does the tax collector pray? 
Verse 13. Check this out. But the tax collector standing where? Where is he standing? Standing far off. Would not even raise his eyes to heaven. But kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And here within his response in prayer, we learn that the antidote to spiritual pride is humility. Where spiritual pride is all about praising self and making much of self and listing off all the ways that we're so amazing. Instead, number four in your notes, humility leads to praise of God. Humility leads to praise of God. And here the tax collector is addressing God himself. He's not praising himself. He's not praying to himself. He's not talking about himself. He's addressing God. And he doesn't care who's in the room with him. He doesn't care who's looking at him. He doesn't care what they think about him. He doesn't care what the Pharisee is saying about him. It's just him and God. And instead of praising self, humility has led this man to praise God and God alone. And he cries out and he beats his chest, God have mercy on me. And in those few words, he was saying, God, I desperately need you. And I can't do this without you. And it's not about me, God. It's all about you. And for some of us, we're so caught up on ourselves. We're so caught up on our preferences. We're so caught up on our accolades. We're so caught up on our needs. We're so caught up on our desires. We're so caught up on our circumstances and our situations. We're so caught up on our wants that we get too focused. And in turn, we make it all about us and end up praising ourselves. But humility takes the attention off of us and brings all the praise to God. Humility says, God, apart from you, I would cease to exist. Without you in my life, it has no meaning. My life has no purpose. And without you, any sort of progression in my faith or walk with you is meaningless because I'm absolutely nothing without you, God. What does it matter how much Bible I know or how much I pray or how much I give if without you it's nothing? Humility leads to the praise of God. And lastly, number five, humility acknowledges our brokenness. Humility acknowledges our brokenness. Verse 13 again. But the tax collector... He wasn't in the front for everybody can so everybody can see him. He was standing far off. And he would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a what? Say that out loud, a, a sinner. For this tax collector, he knew that he didn't have it all together. He knew that he didn't have it all figured out. He knew that he was imperfect. He knew that he had screwed up and needed less of himself and more of God. This man stood before God broken and in desperate need of him. He acknowledged his brokenness. He realized his sin and his inability to do anything about it apart from relying wholly on the grace of God. He cried out, mercy on me, a sinner. And guys, let me tell you, it takes humility to admit that. 
A prideful person would never admit their fault. A prideful person would never see their sin or ever see their need for salvation or ever see their need for intervention. A prideful person would never confess with his mouth what he knows in his heart but would never admit. And guys, if you're here today and you're unable to see your need for God's intervention in your life and the provision that he's made for you in Jesus, might I suggest that perhaps it is because of your pride. And perhaps your pride keeps you from seeing your need for God's grace to cover you in ways that you never could. But there's good news. And the good news is that for the proud person that is willing to humble themselves, there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is mercy. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 14. Let's read this verse out loud together. You have it in your notes and it's on the screen. Let's read it. Ready? Go. I tell you, This one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Underline the last part of that verse. Right there says, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here right now, and they're going to lead us in one last song as we close out. Uh, But as... As they come up here and as we, as we sing this song, uh, let me lovingly tell you that if you're here today and that you don't see your need for Jesus, you are too proud. And Jesus said that for the one who exalts himself, they will be humbled. And maybe this is your humbling moment. This is God talking to your heart, convicting you of your sin, showing you all the ways that you fall short, but also telling you, listen, how much he immensely loves you. Jesus said that for the tax collector, he went home justified. Why? Because of his humility. There is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is grace for the one who is humble enough to admit that they need it. And so how are we justified? God sent his son Jesus to live the life that we could never live. A life of humility and free from sin. Our pride, our sin separates us from God. But God in His great love for us sends Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. And Jesus is innocently led to the cross to die in our place for our sin. And in His death, there is the atonement of our sin. And our sins are forgiven. But three days later, God raised Jesus from the grave, releasing the grip sin had on us. And for whoever puts their faith in Jesus, not in themselves, not in their abilities, but in Christ's ability, whoever puts their faith in Him, they can experience forgiveness of sin and a new life in Him. And you will be justified in Christ. What does it take to receive this gift? It takes humility. Humility to confess your sin. Humility to admit you need your need of Jesus and to recognize that you can't do it on your own. Humility to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel and to make a decision to follow him. Now listen, I'm not going to tell you to raise your hand or tell you to come up here. It's a decision between you and God. And right there in your seat, you can make a decision. God, like the tax collector, I'm a sinner, God, and I need you. And I surrender everything to you. You can pray that prayer right there in your seat. You make that decision to follow him. But we would love to know. And the way you can let us know is everybody will take out their connection card that came in the bulletin. And on the back, make sure on the front, put your name, email, whatever amount of information you feel comfortable sharing so we can stay connected. But on the back, if you made a decision to follow Jesus today, check that off and say, I want to follow Jesus. And in a moment, you'll have an opportunity to hand that in the bucket. And as your church family, we'd love to celebrate with you. Put a Bible in your hand if you don't have one and celebrate alongside of you. But for all of us, I want to challenge you to self-reflect and self-examine where in your life is their spiritual pride. And in a moment, we're going to sing and we're going to partake in communion. And as you are partaking communion, as you drink the juice and as you eat the bread, you remember that it was his the, the juice is representative of his blood shed for you on the cross. The bread is representative of his body that was broken for you. And the Bible says that the chastisement of our sin was upon his back. And by his scars we are healed. And so make a decision today to follow Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, use it as an opportunity to repent of your sin. Of spiritual pride. And to allow humility to surrender to him pray let's pray lord forgive us for the spiritual pride we so often have we're so quick to seek out the praise of self to compare ourselves to others and to hide behind our spirituality but lord i pray that we might instead have humble hearts that we would be humble to see our need of you i pray for humility to surrender to you and to depend on you and not ourselves Help us see our brokenness and thank you for the humility of Jesus to die in our place and grant us forgiveness of sin, new life, and an eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.